Hello, and welcome to another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live, the InfoSec podcast recorded in front of a live online audience, giving you, the community, a voice that can be heard around the world. And now it's time for your host, Duncan Macklin. Hello, everyone. My name is Duncan Macklin, and this is yet another engaging episode of Cyber Speaks Live. I am InfoSec War on Twitter and easily found on LinkedIn. This episode I have been looking forward to for a couple weeks now, um, not only because of the person that we have on this week, Yuri is not just a, a industry leader, a standout technical professional, but he's also a good friend. Uh, I, I had the extreme pleasure of meeting Yuri a couple of years ago at Microsoft Ignite. And actually, before I get into his introduction, speaking of Ignite, you know, that just occurred, you know, this month in Orlando. And I want to give a huge thank you to Microsoft for inviting us to come out to the Ignite conference and actually record Cyberspeaks Live from Ignite in their fabulous podcasting studios. It was such a tremendous experience. You know, I've been going to Ignite for, well, actually since its inception, but well before that, when we started the MMS conference in 1998 in Newport Beach, California, and it slowly got sucked up into Ignite, but, you know, just seeing everybody out there, we had nearly 30,000 attendees from all over the world, so many countries and dialects and, you know, cultures and everything represented there was a fantastic experience, and we were so privileged to be a part of that and to be invited by Microsoft to come out there and do this show from their podcasting studios. Got a nice little cup here for those that are in the uh, in the actual live recording session. Just a nice little thank you gift from them. And of course, you know, they brought us out there, you know, for the conference. So I got to do a couple great episodes there. And uh, the first one was actually for, you know, uh, the cybersecurity situation that's going on with local governments and all the things that we're seeing and hearing about various ransomware attacks and business email compromises with these organizations. You know, my wife and I were in Ocala, Florida right now, and they just got hit with a business email compromise that ended up costing them three quarters of a million dollars. And we hear about this week after week after week, and it's just sickening that as bad as it's been for the past couple of years, and you know, looking back, gosh, it's almost been two years now, I was one of the first responders to the city of Atlanta's Sam Sam ransomware outbreak. You know, all these things have been happening. They're in the media. They're, you know, uh, the city of Baltimore, you know, what's going on here in Ocala, Atlanta, state of Louisiana, which we're going to talk about here in a second, you know, keeps happening over and over again, but the situation's not improving. So I brought on Mark Simos from Microsoft, who's the, uh, one of their lead security architects for Microsoft Cybersecurity Group, along with Charlie Burton from one of the Louisiana parishes, and just kind of talked about what 
what is going on in local government? And we talked about what some of the best practices that Charlie and his group have implemented with their parish or county for the rest of the U.S. Uh, in Louisiana and what they've done to improve their security posture and how they've consumed some of the Microsoft technologies to be able to assist with the, those efforts. Really, really standout episode. But then I was so privileged to have Ryan Macabad, I, I know I'm butchering her last name and I'm so sorry, but she's a former U.S. Army Sergeant that we got to have a real serious dialogue about what's going on with our military veterans that are coming back and trying to make that civilian transition and particularly those that are trying to transition into cyber and then we start talking about the seriousness of transitioning to civilian life and how it's not an easy transition for a lot of them and some of them don't survive it and that was one of the <clears throat> most difficult episodes for me to produce but it was also one of the most important my hero in life is my grandfather who right now above my right shoulder is a photograph of him framed with one of his two purple hearts while he was receiving his silver star and uh you know that man is my hero and i cannot imagine that man coming back and not being able to deal with the transition to civilian life and i know i'm getting a little bit deep here but it is something that is incredibly important and ryan shared some fabulous resources with us during that episode so regardless of whether or not you're prior military you probably know someone who is please take a moment listen to that episode you can catch it on our channel with anchor.fm forward slash cyber speaks live just look for the episode vets in cyber um, please give it a listen capture those resources and share them with or share them with those folks that you know that are coming out of the military life um, that's all i'm gonna ask thank you okay so let's move forward with our uh episode here some of the incidents you know i like to kick off our episodes by being able to talk about what some of the major cyber security clusters that have happened in the week prior right so uh cyber clusters of the week and boy do we have plenty to pick from so let's start off with water Blue Brewing out of Canada, they too fell for a business email compromise scheme with a successful impersonation, probably starting with a social engineering attack looking from the details of this particular one. But it led to a $2.1 million in losses. Uh, apparently, like I said, there was an employee that got socially engineered into performing yet another wire transfer. Uh, Church's Chicken, for those of you that are a fan, you might want to check your credit and debit cards because they may have been compromised in the company-owned stores with third-party gaining unauthorized access. Uh, T-Mobile, 
if you are a prepaid customer, listen up. Oh, by the way, I want to give a big shout out to our friend who is providing all this content. So every week, Nick Espinoza, he is Nick A-E-S-P on Twitter, Nick A-E-S-P on Twitter. Every week, he does a YouTube video with the cybersecurity incidents that have taken place in the week prior. So in the past several weeks, I have pretty much abandoned having to do all this research and cataloging all these various data breaches for you guys because Nick's already doing it for me and he's doing it in a great YouTube channel. Follow him on Twitter. Make sure you're checking out the videos. You can stay abreast, of course. We're going to recap some of the top ones from Nick's list. But like I said, T-Mobile, if you're a prepaid customer, they um, have been breached as well notified their customers by a text message really sharp there guys basically instructing their customers to visit the company's websites for details apparently the data that has been compromised could in my opinion very easily lead to being able to social engineer T-Mobile into doing SIM swapping. If you're not familiar with what SIM swapping is or how it can compromise your information, particularly when it comes to two-factor authentication, I definitely encourage you to give that a good search on Google. Just look for SIM swapping and 2FA. Next up, like I said, state of Louisiana, uh, hit again with a ransomware attack, taking down the state servers for websites and email systems. And this is the second such attack in the past several months. Uh, the governor, John Bell, did announce this on Twitter and activated the state's CERT team to respond. Now, if you're a pet owner and use the National Veterinary Association, or NVA, which not only operates facilities, but also has pet insurance plans. They got hit with 350 facilities fallen victim to ransomware infestations. This occurred late last month, but the company is still trying to recover. They expect it to be, take another week or so before all systems are back online. Now, Macy's, it looks like their balloons may not be the only thing that is falling this Thanksgiving. Uh, Macy's got hit with a match cart, which is essentially form jack an incident involving their website ordering systems, impacting customer payment card data. So if you have purchased anything from Macy's online, you may be subject to this data breach. Next up, my home state, College Station, which you know, I'm a Longhorn fan, so not a fan of College Station, and particularly not since Click2Gov, which is a payment processing system for state and local governments, they got compromised in two of their cities, College Station, Texas being one of them, payment card details have been compromised. So if you're in College Station and use Click2Gov for things like parking, paying uh, municipality fees, etc. you may want to check into this. And then lastly, the big one that everybody's probably heard of in the news, 
but a security researcher, Vinny Toya, Vinny uh, discovered a treasure trove of about four terabytes of data on the dark web involving a lot of information about a lot of people. And when I say a lot of people, I'm talking 1.2 billion deduplicated records of user details, but apparently no real sensitive information. This is essentially, if you're familiar with the term OSINT or open source intelligence gathering, that's essentially what's taking place here, but this is just on a massive scale. So think about all your details from LinkedIn, including things like your phone number, website addresses, all that kind of stuff. All this is now collected into one location, which of course, could lead to a lot more creative and effective social engineering attacks against organizations. Uh, imagine being able to link all that data together, provide relationships and prior histories with individuals. It's just a treasure trove. So there you have it. Those are our fiber clusters of the week for this episode. Now, Getting back to today's guest, and I want to thank everybody for joining us today. As I said, Yuri and I um, have been friends for several years now, and I'm just a, a I guess I'm a fanboy because it's not only his technical skills, his business acumen, his leadership in our community, and really just putting it all out there. This guy is relentless when it comes to everything he does to help support us from presenting at industry conferences, supporting those user groups, authoring books, you name it. But he's also just a really solid person, a good hearted man. And he and I <clears throat> have shared a lot of the same struggles in life. And we're going to talk about that as well later on. But Yuri's been working for Microsoft, uh, I guess it's now 13, 14 years, going back to 2006 and various positions. He spent his first five years as a forefront edge senior support escalation engineer. Then he worked for the content development team where he also helped create some of the very first uh, content around Azure Security Center you know, from its launch back in 2016. He's published a total of 22 books. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Most of them obviously covering information security and Microsoft technologies. He has literally written the book on Microsoft Azure security. And for those that are actually in the live stream right now, they're looking at the copy that I'm holding in my hand. And you can actually win a signed copy just like this. So stick around to the end and we're going to, raffle one of these away to a lucky attendee. However, Yuri's just told me before we went live here that he's worked with Microsoft Press to also have a special offer for our listeners. And this is just for you guys. So for this week only, and I think it will end on Thursday because Microsoft Press is doing something totally different for Black Friday. But for our listeners, this week only through Thursday, using the promo code Azure SEC, S-E-C, Azure SEC, Azure promo code, you can get 
Yuri's book for 30% off, even if you don't win the signed edition today. So continuing on, Yuri is also has an MBA and a master's of science in cybersecurity intelligence and forensics investigation. Now today he's a senior program manager for the Microsoft CXE security team where he primarily helps customers onboard and deploy Azure Security Center as part of their security operations and incident response. And of course, Azure Security Center is the overarching theme of today's discussion with Yuri. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I turn it over to Yuri. Yuri, thank you for joining us today. It's such a pleasure. Have I left anything out in your amazing career that our listeners need to be aware of? Uh, no, thank you very much for having me, Duncan, and thank you for all your nice words. I truly appreciate. Uh, I was really looking forward to this uh, episode, and uh, again, thank you very much for having me here today. Absolutely, it is my honor, sir. Absolutely. So. I want to get into something in, you know, for the listeners edification and kind of my own, because, you know, it it can get a little bit tricky trying to navigate the Microsoft waters We're we're talking how many employees you guys have worldwide, 70,000, 80,000, something like Uh, that. It it keeps growing. So, (laughs) yeah. So help me understand your title is senior program manager for the CXE team. So first, help me understand, senior program manager, what exactly is your role within Microsoft as it applies to security and Azure and all that? So that's uh, as a great clarification that we should uh, talk about right in the beginning. Our team is responsible for bridging the communication between customers and the engineering and developers, right? Uh, we help uh, shape the product basically. So based on our engagement with customers, we bring that feedback and we give it to the engineer and we work with them to improve the product. As you know, nowadays uh, with cloud, products are changing constantly. And those chains are truly based on direct feedback that we receive. So not only we help them to adopt the solution, but we also remove roadblockers and we also bring uh, tangible data to improve the product lifecycle. So that we have a direct engagement with engineering. Now, if you think about Security Center as a product, there are many features, capabilities available in Security Center. And we have a team of engineering PMs that they own different features. So what we call the feature PM. So there is a particular threat detection, for example, has a PM just to threat detection, right? Uh, workflow automation, there is a PM for workflow automation. So there are different uh, feature PMs. Uh, most of them, actually, all of them are in, in our research and development center in Israel. So they are there, and that's why I go so often to Israel to have meetings, to uh, provide the feedback and align the strategy with them. Excellent, excellent. So, you know, from my perspective, looking at the Microsoft today versus, you know, the Microsoft that existed 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago when, you know, I was first getting certified and all that in the technologies. 
it, it seems like Microsoft is much more in tune with their customer base and the community and soliciting that kind of feedback and really incorporating it into the product stacks and the futures, you know, with the roadmap and, and you know, their development cycles. Would, would you agree with that? You know, I, I, I agree with the fact that today is, is more engaging, but it's more the, the agility of the process. Because I remember back in the day, uh, 2009, 2008, 2009, I was working at that time with ISA server, 2006, uh, and we were starting to develop Forefront TMG 2010. And we did have a lot of meetings with customers to obtain feedback on how to make the next version of ISA server, uh, which was direct feedback from customers as well. But the thing is, in the past, the product life cycle was at least one year. So if you provide feedback today, you might just see that changing one year from now. And by at that point, you might have different needs and you have different requests. So it was slower to incorporate that feedback. Nowadays, many times you, you give a feedback and perhaps, perhaps in three months from now, you have that thing that you request, right? Because the agility changed with cloud. Right. So now customer has way, a way more active role uh, by providing those, that tangible feedback. And I think the incorporation of user voice has really helped amplify that messaging so that Microsoft can get active feedback in real time from these customers that are using the products out there, bring that back into their DevOps cycles and understand what is the priority, you know, because when you take a customer who says, okay, I would like to fix X bug or have Y feature added to the product. And then others are able to vote up those particular topics. You start to get a very clear understanding of what the market demand is or what the criticality is of addressing an issue. Wouldn't you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, and it helps to prioritize, right? So not only the, the user voice, that we have a site just for that, the user voice, uh, helps us to prioritize what is really important to invest on the product. Because it really doesn't matter only uh, the vision that we're gonna develop, but the vision must be aligned with what is really important for the customer, what they really need in order to unblock them on their deployments. So that's very important. The user voice is extremely used. And, and not only that, but there are so many channels today. I receive uh, feedback from Twitter, right? And, and sometimes I get that screenshot and say, see, this is a customer and this is what uh, they, they really need, right? So the, the channels are not only the formal channels like the user voice uh, in Azure, but there are uh, the informal channels and we take everything in consideration. That's why I'm very active on LinkedIn because it's a way for me to not only publish what we, are, we just released, like I published a video last week about workflow automation, which is a new feature that we uh, released at, at Ignite. And a lot of people uh, didn't go to Ignite, they didn't have the opportunity to see the demonstration. So I, I tried to educate them on that and I received direct feedback. Well, oh, this feature is good, but what if I have this and this scenario? So there are different scenarios that we, we always try to unlock. Absolutely. And that's, you know, so fantastic. I love to, to hear how 
Microsoft is engaged in the community. They are where we live, you know, and that may mean that we're living in Discord. It may mean Twitter. It may mean Slack. But I see you guys out there, and I, I, I believe what you're saying, that you're actively participating, capturing these data points from the users of the products and bringing that back and making the solutions better. So with that said, let's talk about Azure Security Center. What are you doing with the product? Why should customers pay attention to Azure Security Center? What's the deal? Well, it's, I like to, to start uh, thinking about uh, the cloud journey, right? So a lot of customers nowadays, they are moving to the cloud or they are already there. And uh, the secure controls that they have on premise, sometimes they are, they are not so easy to adapt for this new cloud reality. So as soon as they start this migration process, the first thing that happens is they lose visibility of what they have in this cloud environment. Uh, so visibility and control is something that they, they need to have when they move to the cloud. But they need to understand if their workloads are secure, they need to understand if there are ports uh, widely open, and we see that a lot of time. For example, just provisioning new VMs in Azure and not uh, hardening that VM. Uh, provisioning new VMs and leaving the RDP port open all the time, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, most of the attacks against uh, Azure IS VMs are done via RDP brute force attack. And the reason why is because it's the easiest one. I mean, as long as you provision, someone will attack that machine and it's just a matter of time today uh, for them to try to get in because if you don't have detection if you don't have countermeasure at some point the brute force will succeed right so it's very important to as soon as you onboard new resources you have that a solid visibility of the secure portion of those workloads and that's where azure secure center immediately start to work give you that visibility and control uh, we call this the uh, secure posture management of your cloud workloads and not only that there is also the other side because secure posture is based on three major pillars right uh, uh, you have the entire homework that you need to do in order to increase your high secure hygiene uh, then you have the detection and then you have the response so once you do your homework protecting your assets now you need to have actively uh, detection mechanisms to show that something uh, is trying to get into their system. There is attack happening at that moment. If you don't have detection, you have no visibility of uh, potential threat actors trying to get into your environment, right? So it's very important to have detection. So Secure Center also provides so those detection uh, analytics uh, for you. So that being said, there's so many security vendors in the market today, and every one of them seems to think their approach is the right one or the best one, whether if it's, you know, early detection, EDR, you know, layer two, layer three defenses, et cetera. Why should a customer trust Microsoft with their security? Why would they make all the investments in Azure security and having everything roll up into this beautiful dashboard that you're talking about and being able to have that single pane of glass? Why should they trust Microsoft with their security today? 
Well, the, the matter of trust is way broader than that, right? And, and you were at Ignite, you probably saw many presentations about Microsoft runs on trust. So not that is the whole trust uh, thing, but going deep into Security Center, if you think about, we, Microsoft, we own the Azure underneath platform. Uh, so we have the capability to leverage uh, that intelligence that we have in order to protect our own customers. So network traffic, uh, we are able to, to use that threat intelligence in order to alert you if there is something happening. Uh, so Azure Security Center has integration with many other solutions. I'm not sure if you are aware, but for example, when you onboard a Windows Server 2016 in Azure Security Center, for example, you get automatically uh, Defender ATP onboarded to that server as part of Security Center. So you don't need an extra license for that because Security Center will actually deploy Defender ATP. So now you have the EDR deployed to your server integrated with ASC. So all the analytics uh, that are triggered by Defender ATP will, will be surfaced in Azure Security Center Secure Alerts. So the, this integration is very important. You want to, to avoid alert fatigue. And one way to, to avoid that is to do this uh, cross integration between our products and different uh, feeds of threat intel to alert you uh, more accurately when something is, is important for you to address. So that's one of the, the major advantages of that. And, and the other advantage, if you think about the secure posture perspective, we are developing uh, a set of secure recommendations for our own workloads, right? So for example, if, if you provision a new storage account, who better than the storage account team that developed this right. storage to give you the secure recommendations about that storage account, right? Exactly. So we partner, Security Center partner with different teams within Microsoft and they are the ones that create those secure baselines for their services because they know better. They, they have the code, right? They develop that solution. So that's very important to take in consideration. Exactly. And that goes back to the days of SCOM or System Center Operations Manager, where I would talk about the management packs and who better to tell you how to monitor the performance, the security, the availability of these workloads than the product teams that wrote the product to begin with, right? Yeah, you know, because yep. they're authoring those management packs. The exact same thing for security compliance baselines. It is the Microsoft product groups responsible for developing those products that are telling the Azure security teams how to be able to monitor them in the cloud infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thought process. Yes. So think about that. Not only do you have the great intelligence coming from the product group to help you know how to monitor the security, the performance, the availability, et cetera, for these products, but you're also getting the unparalleled capabilities when it comes to telemetry data. There are so many billions of sensors that Microsoft has at its availability around the globe from all their products. Everything from O365 emails inbound, from live.com to Xbox, all these different sensors that are out there providing this telemetry data about security threats. Mm -hmm. 
I saw one of the examples that Microsoft was giving around ATP and Windows Defender that there was basically a malware outbreak that was occurring. And because of all these sensors and the telemetry data that was being fed into Azure, that they were able to detect what was happening on a global scale and already have the defenses in place within 15 minutes. Now think about your security teams being able to do that. Impossible. It's impossible, folks. There's no way in Sam hell that your organization would be able to match that kind of agility and responsiveness to cybersecurity threats. That's why making the investment in this type of cloud infrastructure and support is so critical. Okay, so we're talking about workloads. We're talking about the cloud platform. I know those are two really important points to you, Yuri. Mm -hmm. So layering onto or attaching to Azure Security Center, yeah, those two focus points that you wanted to discuss today, can we get into that a little bit? Uh, Yeah, I like to, Security Center is primarily positioning two major uh, platforms, uh, CSPM, Cloud Security Portion Management, and Cloud Workload Protection Platform. Right. Those two are more Gartner-related terminologies, uh, but it's very important for you to have this understanding to avoid things like, well, now that I have Azure Sentinel, do I still need Security Center? Never ask this question, right? Because those are two different scenarios. Uh, Azure Sentinel is the same solution. It actually integrates with Secure Center, so they are complementary. So it's very important for you to uh, have the CSPM and the CWPP. And the CWPP, Cloud Workload Protection Platform, is uh, one of the major uh, reasons a lot of customers, they actually upgrade uh, Azure Secure Center to the standard tier. Because Secure Center has two tiers, the free tier, uh, which gives you all the secure recommendations and visibility. But once you need to monitor more advanced threat detection and you need to use advanced capabilities in Secure Center, you have to upgrade to the standard tier. Okay. Uh, and that's where you start having all the threat analytics that uh, I was talking about. Right. You know, the advantage uh, when, when that we see that customers are moving to the cloud nowadays, they have. Uh, different workloads on-premise. They might have Windows, they might have Linux, and uh, Secure Center can monitor both. Yeah. So that's an excellent also uh, advantage of this platform. We have threat detections for Windows. We have threat detections for Linux as well. And, And that in itself is such a phenomenal change in the Microsoft organization. And I've said this time and time again, I almost do not recognize the Microsoft Corporation today. It's so phenomenally different than when I got into this game in the early 90s and especially during that whole dot-com era where Microsoft really saw Linux as a tremendous threat to the organization because of all the Linux workloads that were reporting the LAMP infrastructure that were running all these dot-com websites, and it continued under the Balmer reign. It was a true war between Microsoft and the Linux community. That, under the new regime, 
does not exist. It had to be removed in order for you to succeed in cloud. Yep. Because I think you knew you would not be able to have a cloud play if you did not support Linux. And it started slowly, but oh my God, once you ramped up and gained momentum, the Microsoft that exists today, folks, when it comes to cross-platform support, I just have to applaud you guys because it is literally a 180 from where you were two decades ago, where you were even 10 years ago. So I applaud your efforts there. Yeah, I, I was uh, at Black Hat this year uh, working at the booth there. And I, I remember one guy coming to me asking question uh, at the booth about Security Center, Sentinel, things like that. And after we discussed, he said, look, I've been coming to Black Hat since uh, the early days. And if I tell you that 10 years ago, I would see that many people in the Microsoft Secure booth and actually engaging and, and, and curious about your, your solution, I would never imagine that this will happen. And that's, that's what really happened. I was in RSA this year, I was in Black Hat, and uh, we were busy in our booth uh, answering questions, and not simple questions, sometimes uh, very advanced, which means customers are already using those solutions. They have the next uh, layer type of question, you know. It, it was not like, what is this? It's more, more like, well, we are trying to do this using your product, right? So you see the level of maturity already there in many customers that were visiting the booth, which, which is great because it gives us more, again, more tangible feedback and, and, and drives our directions of investment. So let's take an organization, Yuri, that maybe they're just starting to get into the cloud play or maybe they're in the early stages in working with multiple cloud partners what does azure security center offer in a multi hybrid cloud approach uh, we are a hybrid solution for sure, which means that if you have servers on premise and you want to monitor uh, your servers, you can install the agent, uh, the Microsoft Operation Management, the Mon agent, which will start reporting to your workspace that lives in Azure, and this is the workspace used by Azure Secure Center. Uh, the agent can be installed in any VM. And if the VM is in AWS, you can install the agent there and the agent will communicate with Azure uh, Security Center. It will start providing the information that we need to build the security recommendation, potentially also trigger alerts if necessary, right? So it is fully hybrid. We continue to have uh, investment on, on this hybrid scenario. Uh, uh, at Ignite, we had a, a lot of news in, in Azure Security Center and there are more coming that I'm not really uh, yet able to talk about, but uh, keep your eyes on the release notes of Azure Security Center because we have uh, a lot of things coming, mainly for, for hybrid scenarios as well. But today you can already do hybrids for on-premise and for different, um, different clouds. You brought up a good point about keeping tabs on what's going on with Azure and Security Center and trying to maintain that. I, I want to give a shout out to one of your colleagues there at Microsoft, and I'm sorry I don't have his name in front of me, but 
for those that are working with Azure in any capacity, if you're trying to keep up with all the new developments and licensing changes and the different geos around the world where new availability of Azure services are taking place, all that stuff, you know, it's very complex and difficult to keep up with. And Microsoft, to their avail, you know, they they do publish a lot of information. Unfortunately, it's in a lot of different websites. It's in a lot of different portals, various RSS feeds. Trying to keep tabs on all that stuff will do a person's head in. One of the Microsoft engineers has put together this website called azurecharts.com, azurecharts.com. From there, you can visualize and see everything that's taken place across all Azure product offerings broken down into 13 different categories, but it is just this massively brilliant data visualization of everything that's taken place there. And there's some cool fun things to put there uh, as well. So definitely check that out, azurecharts.com. So Yuri, we're coming up on about the 45 minute mark. I, I want to give you an opportunity to really have a platform and talk about last things that you would like for customers to know or prospects to know about Azure Security Center and any of the other Microsoft related security tools that they're providing in the cloud environment. If they haven't worked with any of the Microsoft security solutions yet, how would you recommend for them to get started? It's very important, again, to understand uh, your goals and also the scenario, right? Because, for example, there are a lot of things, uh, people that, for example, use Security Center as a way to replace their anti-malware solution. That's not really the scenario, right? Because Security Center, first of all, is not for the endpoint. Endpoint is Windows 10, Defender ATP. Security Center is for servers, right? And, and that's why I emphasized earlier that we install our EDR, Defender ATP, for servers on the server. So you have to reevaluate the scenario to not, because there will be different advantages of using one over the other. For example, if you say, should I uh, install Security Center on my domain controller to monitor uh, credential related attacks? Well, you could, but the best analytics for domain controllers is actually Azure ATP. Azure ATP is the solution, right? The evolution of ATA, uh, which was running on-premise, and the evolution of that is Azure ATP, with which will give you much more rich analytics for uh, identity-related attacks. So that's the scenario for Azure ATP, installation of the sensor on, on the domain controller and uh, having those analytics there. Secure Center will be more for your file server. It will be more for the other servers, uh, not necessarily for the domain controller itself. Okay, so it's that's why it's important to understand the purpose and the focus of the different solutions, so that when you build your architecture, you might be using Secure Center, Azure ATP, Microsoft Cloud App Security, because those are different scenarios. And the advantage is that if you want everything to send the threat detection and the feeds to one single place, well, that single place is Azure Sentinel because Azure Sentinel is the same solution, right? So now it's very clear that we have uh, different verticals with different uh, solutions for different scenarios. 
And now I want to aggregate all that data into a single pane of glass for investigation and SecOps. Well, that's Sentinel, right? That's why you have to educate yourself uh, from the broader perspective of the different solutions. Otherwise, you'd be saying, I'm using Secure Sentry, I don't need all those other solutions. It's not really like that. Exactly. Very good point there. Okay, so um, before we get into the Q&A, we are about to do that, so I want to put a couple people here on point. Uh, Charles, get ready to go live. We have a couple others here that I'll get to, but before that, you know, not all of your books have been technical, right? Mm -hmm. And it came out, I guess, about a week, maybe two weeks ago in, in some Twitter thread that beyond just our mirrored technical backgrounds almost that when we got started in the industry, when we made our transition into security, it was almost mirrored years that we've been at this. We also share some personal history and I believe you've written a book that kind of speaks to that topic as well. Do you want to take a minute and just kind of let our audience know about that? Uh, sure. Uh, so one of the things that happens with uh, security professionals is that, in IT pros in general actually, is that we sometimes have such a tunnel vision in focusing on resolving a problem, things like this, and, and we are, for a long time, uh, we, we were bragging to be workaholic and to work after hours and everything. And I've done, I've done that, I've been there. Uh, from the health perspective, it was not really good for me, but it took me to the extreme in order to really realize that I couldn't really sustain that 20 hours a day of work. It was not sustainable, right? So it affected my, my entire life, it affected my health until a point that the doctor said, well, you, you gotta have to change. And one of the changes is lose weight because I was uh, obese. Exactly for the fact that I was not eating correctly. I was, uh, I remember back in the day, I was working on the second shift for critical situation scenarios with uh, ISO server in forefront. There were many cases that I left Microsoft here in, in Las Colinas, in Irving, uh, at midnight, 1 a.m. Uh, there were situations that I just stay uh, uh, the whole night working. So it was just crazy. Uh, the level of stress. Microsoft is a company that embraces a lot of work-life balance. A lot of uh, managers, they, they help a lot with that. But it's up to the individual to also take ownership of the work-life balance and, and implement it. Otherwise, uh, many times, if you just go with the role, you're just going to keep it doing it. Uh, but if you start establishing boundaries and you start to managing, better manage your time and be conscious about the meetings that you are scheduling to be in, in certain times of the day and you have that uh, good amount of hours, but you also have hobbies outside of work that you have commitments to go, that helps on the work-life balance overall. So right. I lost 100 pounds. Basically, I wrote a book uh, called Red Set Achieve. Uh, which is uh, about uh, transforming this mindset uh, and trying to prioritize uh, your life in general. Otherwise, if you don't have life, most likely you won't be able to work, right? 
So Yuri, while we go through the Q&A, we do have several questions I want to get to. Do you mind just hopping out to Amazon, grabbing the link for that book and popping it into the chat for our attendees? Not sure. And I, and I want to make sure that I do capture that so that we can include it in the show notes as well. I think mental health is a crisis in our industry, in our field. And the more that we can share resources and tools with folks, I, I think it can only help in that regard. So thank you for that. I'm going to go ahead at this point and jump into some of our Q&A. And at the end, we will be raffling off one of Yuri's Microsoft Azure Security Center books by Microsoft Press. Yuri, do you want to give a shout out to Tom as well? Oh, of course. I've been working with Thon, and I'm just going to extend a little bit here because I worked with Thon even before uh, moving to U.S. I'm originally from Brazil, and um, I study ISO 2000, uh, ISO Server 2000 book written by Tom when I was in Brazil, and I always admired his work. So when I moved to U.S. and I moved to Texas, he lives here in Texas as well. Uh, we end up being ex uh, good friends. I uh, spent time with, with him a lot. We, we wrote more than seven books together. So we became buddies, uh, basically. We used to have a talk show called uh, Security from Into Edge and Beyond on, on, on Channel 9. Uh, so we have a great partnership, long partnership. And of course, uh, this book is just another example of this partnership. That's great collaboration. And yeah, I could tell just from the foreword by Hayden that there is such respect for you two working together and the collaboration efforts that you've put forth in previous work. So congratulations, much success to you guys on this and others. Hopefully we'll get to see more content coming from you soon. Okay, with that, Yuri, I want to thank you so much for your participation on CyberSpeaks Live today. It's been an extreme pleasure having you here. Do you mind if we take a few questions from the audience. Of course, let's, let's do it. Okay, so Charlie, Mr. Burton, I'm going to bring you into the chat now, and you should be allowed to talk at this point. Yes, uh, good morning or good afternoon. Hey, Charles. Hi. I, I, think, I, I think I answered partially your question, but uh, I, you have more here. No, I, I think you partially did. I, I appreciate the opportunity. You know, we've, we've got a, uh, my group, uh, we've got a lot of skill in house of using those on-premise tools for attempting to secure our environment, you know, the system center and operations manager and config manager. So as we spin up these virtual machines in our Azure cloud, you know, we're still trying to leverage those on-premise tools to secure that Azure, you know, environment for us. So, is it our hybrid or should we, you know, transition to the security center uh, in the cloud exclusively for our on-cloud or in-cloud resources? Uh, so what we've seen a lot these days uh, on this transition, you're going to still have your good policy, you're going to still have your active directory on-premise for the most part. Of course, some customers are already moving to Azure AD. But uh, as far as security monitoring, Security Center will give you uh, the visibility that you need even for on-premise service. Now, 
there are two aspects, right? Because Scon will also do deployments of uh, applications, patch management, and things like that. And should, you should continue using uh, this product for those purposes. So if you need to deploy something for uh, your on-premise machine, you're going to still leverage in that platform. But from the hardening and uh, understanding the secure posture of that server, you can leverage Security Center. Uh, but from the, the domain controller perspective, which is was part of your initial question on the chat window, I think I answered already, right? Because the best solution for monitoring uh, domain controller activities will be Azure ATP. Okay, thank you. Sure. Okay, Charlie, that answers all your questions, yes? Yes, yes it does, thank you. Thank you, Charles, appreciate it. All right, fantastic. Glad you were able to get that out there. So with the next one, I think it is Abhishek, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. If not, I do apologize, but you are unmuted. Please feel free to ask Yuri your question now. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Duncan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Mr. Yuri. It's been a pleasure to uh, get connected on this webinar. Actually, I'm just new to this field. I'm uh, learning quite a few more things as the day and time are progressing. So I just had a few questions. Maybe it's a, a question, basic things for you, but it's a short, short, surely it's a thing to start for me. So I just wanted to ask is the Azure security center only for cloud server protection and whether it can be integrated with the endpoint protection also. Excellent question. Uh, uh, I've briefly mentioned uh, in the beginning that security center is for servers now server can be a server that resides in azure it can be a server vm that resides in aws or any other cloud platform or a server that resides on premise but it's a server solution right it's not a, a workstation desktop uh, solution so if he, when you say endpoint my take is that endpoint is the workstation itself like windows 10 uh, and things like that. So Secure Center is not for that uh, scenario of the endpoint itself. It's for server workloads. Right, right. Got that. Thank you so much. And my next question would be, if I have some of my SaaS products hosted on the Microsoft server, uh, Azure server, Azure cloud basically, so does my security center take care of the data stored on that also? If it is a SaaS, uh, Security Center will not look at the SaaS because the way that you control uh, the SaaS is more from the CASB perspective, which is the Microsoft Cloud App Security. So if you need to control security aspects of your SaaS, uh, then your solutions is Microsoft Cloud App Security. Security Center is more for PaaS, platform okay. as a service and infrastructure as a service. Okay, um, infrastructure as service and platform as service. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And thank you. Thank you so much, Yuri, for connecting. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for your question. Okay, so Manuel, you are live and ready to go. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate Yuri for making this happen. All the guys behind the scenes. Yuri, uh, I believe you know me. I have you on my LinkedIn. I've been watching you very closely recently with that gentleman from, from Turkey publishing those books. Yeah. Yuri, uh, we live in, in, in Lebanon here and uh, uh, I am actually, I'm working uh, very hard on myself just like you, you mentioned a while ago. 
working like for 20 hours and so on. So my main questions, since you were, uh, since the beginning in Azure Security Center development team, and you know uh, more than anyone this product, I believe if you can, uh, if you have this in your plan to record bunch of videos, which uh, goes uh, in deep into Azure Security Center and not the, only the book. Okay. I mean the best practices, uh, having a bunch of videos where we can uh, cover the whole aspect of the product, uh, including as well uh, Sentinel, it's, it's, it's a huge part of that. So my question is, do you have this in mind uh, soon? Because uh, this is the only way that I have it. Uh, this is my only way that I can learn uh, mm -hmm. more the product, you know? Yeah, I, it, that's a, a very important question because uh, two years ago, I recorded uh, MVA, Microsoft Virtual Academy. You remember that, uh, Dukan, um, in Redmond? Uh, it was about Azure Security Center. We, uh, but of course, it got out of date. But that, that was a good MVA because we explain Azure Security Center from the planning perspective and to the implementation and the operations. So uh, there is a project to update that MVA in, in some shape or form uh, and bring that again to reality. What I do usually on LinkedIn is I have short videos to explain specific features and scenarios and I will continue to do that. But the broader video, more like a workshop, that's something that is on the plan. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 great thing to know. Yeah, thank you so much. That that was my only question that I have. Thank God you. Bless thank you, you for your question, and thank I you hope so much for your effort. Yep. Thank you. All right. I believe that wraps up the open Q and A that we have here. So, time for the raffle then for one of you lucky participants to be able to receive a signed edition second edition at that of Yuri's book on Microsoft Azure Security Center. So the way that we're going to facilitate this is we have, what is it, 14 of you remaining. Thank you for staying just a little bit over the hour. Now with that, I am going to use our randomizer to generate a number between one and 14 whatever it lands on, I will look at the active participants list, count from the top to the bottom, and that number will correspond in the list with the panel. So looking at it, it is result seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mr. James Pearson, congratulations, sir. You are our lucky winner. Now, what I will need for you to do, send me an email, speakup at cyberspeaks.com. Once more, that is speakup at cyberspeaks.com. You are a lucky attendee and will be receiving a signed edition copy of Microsoft Azure Security Center second edition from Yuri directly. Those of you that did not win, thank you for sticking around all the way through the Q&A. We appreciate it. Remember that 30% discount, the code to use once more is Azure SEC, S-E-C, Azure SEC for the 30% discount. Ladies and gentlemen, once more, this is CyberSpeaks Live. I am Duncan Macklin. You can find me on Twitter at Infosec War and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Yuri, how can they get in touch with you? 
Twitter at Yuri Diogenes, uh, LinkedIn, feel free to connect. And I just have one more uh, reminder, okay? Oh, sir. There is, there is no reason for not having Azure Secure Center enabled in your subscription. Because right. even if you are not using the standard tier, you still can take advantage of the free tier. Yep. So, uh, when I see uh, situations where a customer uh, just did not enable Secure Center and it is not using the secure recommendations, it's like, okay, you have a bunch of alarm going on. And instead of addressing the alarm, you just turn off the alarm because you don't want to just to hear that there are vulnerabilities to be fixed. So make sure to enable the free tier, take advantage of the free tier and, and address the security recommendations. And if you want to go and step ahead, uh, further than that, uh, you can upgrade to standard tier and use free for 30 days. So you can try out the capabilities and I have, uh, I'm going to send you this link, but I have a proof of concept uh, planning guide for you uh, that will guide you for the main scenarios that you should test, validate. And if at the end you say, no, this is not worth for me, you, you downgrade to free tier again. But at least you try it out. Okay. Absolutely. And I think that is a perfect way for us to end this episode. Yuri, once more. Thank you. I appreciate everything you're doing out there. Stay strong, brother. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Cyber Speaks Live. Remember to visit our blog at cyberspeaks.com to sign up for our newsletter of upcoming episodes and special guest co-hosts. If you'd like to be a guest co-host or sponsor the show, please email us at speakup at cyberspeaks.com. That's all for this week. And as always, stay safe and secure out there.